from time to time, people will ask me questions related to some things that perhaps they've read or maybe something that they've heard, and they'll ask my opinion about something. And oftentimes it's something that is perhaps a little bit different, a little bit uh, new, maybe, maybe some new thought or some new idea and so forth. And, and I appreciate those questions. I, I really enjoy the fact that we have opportunity to express what the Word of God has to say. And so this morning, I'm going to present a question to you that troubled me in light of what I heard this morning. And this didn't come from anyone in our auditorium, but I heard this on the radio, and it was an advertisement for a book. And the honest truth is, I I have not read the book, and I didn't hear the entirety of the advertisement for it. But... In this part that I heard, a question was raised, and not even a question, it was more of a declaration of something that has happened. And it involves a young lady who is of a Muslim background, and maybe some of you, if you were listening to one of the Christian stations this morning, you you may have heard this. She's of a Muslim background, and uh, in her sleep, she began to have dreams about Jesus, She began to question what those dreams meant, and her mother suggested to her that she pursue whatever it was that was being revealed to her, and that she go to Mecca and engage in the Ramadan experience of the Muslims walking around the tomb of Muhammad. And while she was doing that, she had a vision of Jesus who expressed to her the need that she had to put her trust in him. According to this commercial, this advertisement, she did that and is now living for the Lord. And as I listen to that, it's troubling for several reasons. Several years ago, I had heard much of the same type of a presentation made from Transworld Radio. And they had produced a series of videos that was very, very good concerning our understanding the Muslim beliefs. In that final episode, or it may have been the second to last episode, I I don't remember, it was quite a while ago, they presented individuals who had proclaimed that they came to Christ by virtue of visions and dreams that they had. And they would express what they saw in the visions and in the dreams, and it was on the surface, a presentation of Christ. But in the process of describing the vision they had, they began to express things that were contradictory to the Scriptures. Not just that they weren't mentioned in the Scriptures, they flat out contradicted it. And in my mind, I'm thinking this. You can't have it both ways. Either the Word of God is the final revelation that he has given us in the scriptures, in the Bible, or it's not, and God is still giving special revelation to individuals that contradict what his word has to say. I stake my life, my eternity, on what God has said in the scriptures. Therefore, I come to this conclusion. Those visions, though they sound as if they are God-oriented, 
I'm afraid or not. Somebody will say to me, Pastor, don't you believe that God can reveal himself in special ways? I believe that God can do anything he wants so long as it is consistent with his character and with his nature. And one thing I understand, he does not lie. He does not contradict himself. Therefore, I have some real serious questions when I hear that people come to know Christ as their Savior through visions and through dreams for this reason. It undermines what we're going to talk about today. What was interesting was when this commercial was done, Third Day followed with a song, Give Me Revelation, or Give Me, or, or I Need Revelation. Have any of you heard that song? It was the first time I had heard it. Are any of you familiar with that? For, okay, one, two, three. we're not going to count everybody that's here but i'm thinking to my and i turned the radio off at that point and i turned to debbie and i said this is a terrible song this is terrible here's the revelation this is it you don't need revelation you need enlightenment you need understanding You need to rightly divide the word of truth. And then you need to obey it. So what we're dealing with today is really at the heart of who and what we are as a church. Our purpose is to glorify God by producing disciples who love, worship, and obey Him. Correct? while demonstrating the character of Christ as they lead people to Jesus. There's the deal, folks. We have been commissioned by God to lead people to Christ. And here's what I would submit to you. If we are not a necessary part of God's program in leading people to Christ, then let's stop trying. Because God can give anybody a vision He wants. And He can give them dreams. Or, He can be consistent with what He has declared in His Word concerning our responsibility in telling others about the Savior. I'll be honest with you, folks. For me, this whole issue, and, and some of you, you're, you're going to need to listen today and you're going to need to debate this and, and question it. That's fine. I don't mind that one bit. But in my mind, one of the first things that I thought of this morning as I'm listening to this so-called testimony is, well, then why bother? Jesus doesn't need me. He can, he can do this any way he wants. But he has chosen to use us as the instruments through which His Word will be disseminated to a world that's dead in sin. And we are a very important part. And we need to know certain things that God has revealed concerning our responsibility to tell the lost about Christ. The first thing we need to know is this. We have plenty of motivation for doing what God has called us to do. 
the first thing that we recognize is that we have been commanded to spread the gospel. The Lord said to his disciples, and and he said this on two separate occasions that are recorded for us, and perhaps even more that are not recorded for us in Scripture, but the ones that we know of are recorded. And he said, go ye therefore and make disciples. The process of making disciples means we share the gospel of Christ with them and then baptize them after they become believers to declare their identification with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. So he has commissioned his people to be the ones who spread the gospel. That in and of itself should be motive enough, but there's a whole lot more. What Paul wrote basically tells us that it is a privilege to be able to do this. Can you imagine the privilege that it is to have an opportunity to save someone's life if they are in mortal danger? Wouldn't that be a great thing? I mean, you know, you, you, you see a building burning. And you know there are people inside and you make every effort to go in and to rescue those people. And then if you are successful, uh, and even if you're not, you have made a heroic effort. You've done what a person would be expected to do when there's a life on the line. And you would go in and you would help rescue that individual. And you would say, what a privilege it was for me to be there and to be part of this. That's in essence what the Lord has said about our involvement in sharing the gospel of Christ. It's really a privilege. Now, most of us would say, yes, yes, it is. But it's really hard to do sometimes because we're scared. But that doesn't change the fact that it's still a privilege. And so we, we have the command of the Lord and we have... The privilege that Paul speaks about that was given to him to share the gospel. And beyond that, he tells us about the reality that we are convinced that the only hope that anybody has for forgiveness of sins and for eternity is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Either that is true or it's not. And I'm beginning to hear, even from areas that would seem to be evangelical in nature, a questioning of the exclusivity of Christ being the only way of salvation. There is no question. Neither is there salvation in any other. You can't just believe in God and be saved. Your belief has to be directed to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so understanding that convinces us that the only hope that those that we care about and some that maybe we don't even know, but their only hope is to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so we are given that privilege obeying the command that the Lord has given to us. But he doesn't stop there. He tells us that we are an essential part of that program that he has established. And I want you to listen to this. And I think this is a passage with which most of you are probably familiar. But in Romans chapter 10, it says this. 
How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? We've already determined something. We've been sent. We've been sent to tell the world that Jesus Christ is the only hope. We are an essential ingredient in that. And apart from that, there is no secondary plan. We can look at the scriptures and we can raise the question, did God reveal to us any special revelation apart from that which had been completed in scripture in bringing people to himself? And the answer is no, with one exception, the apostle Paul. But you have to understand, the scriptures had not been completed yet. And God intervened in Paul's life and then God had a special purpose to make him the apostle to the Gentiles, Peter being the apostle to the Jews, both of them sharing the gospel and then inscripturating the truths that need to be communicated by those who will share Christ with the lost. Don't count on dreams and visions, folks. You're it. You are it. We can't pass this off to someone or something else. We're an essential ingredient. We also find out that when we participate in sharing the gospel, the Lord rewards us for doing it. When the apostle was uh, speaking uh, to the Thessalonians, he said this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 17, or pardon me, chapter 2, verse 17. He said, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in the presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing. Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. What a blessing. Folks, I really believe that people who are faithful to their occupations to which the Lord has called them will be honored for their faithfulness. Part of our responsibility as believers is to provide for our families. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Pretty simple, right? And so God puts his stamp of approval on efforts that are made to care for our families. And so I don't want you to think for a moment that I'm diminishing the, the blessing of obedience to our responsibilities. But what I am saying is this. There is a special blessing and reward when you get to glory for having led others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You become our glory. Those of you who have led people to Christ, can you imagine the joy it will be in that day when they come to you and say, I want to thank you so much for your obedience to what the Lord had directed you to do. I, I, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like where, where we'll hug and we'll cry just like 
Carl and Larry. Crying's okay because they're tears of joy for what the Lord has done for us. Paul said, you are our glory. You are the blessing that we have received because of your faith in Christ. But then there's another side to this. We're warned of consequences for failure to do it. Now, I want you to go back in your Bibles, if you will, to Acts, the eighth chapter. And it seems like we read quite a bit here and covered quite a bit of ground. But I want you to notice something. If we do not do what we have been commissioned to do, which is faithfully proclaim the gospel of Christ to people who do not know the Savior, God has the capability to change our circumstances. We, uh, this morning we, we were talking, uh, as Pastor Luke was leading us, that there are believers in Egypt who are suffering now. They are now being attacked uh, as an excuse. The, the, this uh, day of rage has become an excuse in Egypt to attack Christians who have had nothing to do with this overthrow of Mor- Morsi. Morsi? What is it? Yeah, Morsi. And they are the ones who are now suffering because of that. Um, their circumstance has changed very quickly. Do you notice what's happening in Acts chapter 8 at the very beginning? Let me set a background for you. The Apostle Paul, before his conversion, was a great persecutor of the church. When we come to chapter 8, it follows the martyrdom of Stephen in chapter 7 where those who took the stones and killed him because of his declaration of the gospel, they took their cloaks and laid them at the feet feet of one named Saul, who later became the apostle Paul. And they persecuted the believers from that point on. So that's where we pick up in chapter 8. And look at what's happening here. It says, And Saul was consenting to his death, At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Do you understand what's happening here? The early believers had not obeyed what the Lord said. Go ye into all the world, and they hadn't gone. You shall be witnesses unto me in Judea, in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And they didn't do it. They stayed right where they were. And so the Lord changed their circumstances. And he brought persecution upon them and drove them to the regions beyond where they began to proclaim the gospel of Christ. How do we know? Look at what it continues to say. Uh, verse 2 talks about uh, the burial of Stephen. In verse 3, Saul cr- creating havoc. But look at verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now, the word 
is being spread. What I am suggesting is this. If we do not obey what the Lord has directed us to do, and we choose to remain silent about the the exclusivity of Christ being the only Savior, and through His death, burial, and resurrection, we can receive forgiveness of sins, God can change our circumstances to bring us to the place where we begin to obey. Let that gel. Cogitate on that a little bit. Because God's already done it. He did it to the early church. And and I would tell you this. He can remove from us even the opportunity to spread the gospel as he did with Israel when he set them aside and turned and now works in and through the church. See, if we don't choose to do what the Lord has directed us to do, he has ways to change things. And that may sound a bit like a threat. And I I don't believe the Lord wants us to be motivated by threat, but we should face reality. We could lose the opportunity and it be given to somebody else. So we don't want to go down that road. We want to do what the Lord has directed us to do. And what we will find is this, that we're going to be held personally responsible for spreading the gospel. If you look again at Acts chapter 18, and I'll tell you what, I'll just read this for you. It says, when Silas and Timothy had come to Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Now, by the way, again, let me set the background here. Paul is waiting in Corinth, and he's waiting for two of his companions who are involved with his missionary journey, uh, Timothy and uh, Silas and Timothy. And they make their way to Paul in the city of Corinth. And what was his early practice was to go to the synagogues, the places of prayer, not where sacrifices were offered. That could only be done in Jerusalem, but by this time, that that was beginning to fade. Anyway, he goes to where the Jews have gathered, he presents the gospel to them, and they reject it. And that's what we're reading about here. It says, But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Did you get what he just said? He said, if I don't respond to the responsibility that the Lord has laid within my hands, he will hold me responsible for my disobedience. Now, let me clarify something here. And a lot of this depends upon your theology. So I'm going to present my theology, which I believe to be absolutely true. I don't believe anybody goes to hell because we have failed. Did you hear what I just said? If they could, then salvation is by works. My works being necessary for their salvation. 
I don't believe that is true, but here's what I do believe is true. God gives me the opportunity to share Christ with others who may, by faith, accept Christ as their Savior, or I may be part of the process in their coming to Christ, and for that, I am held responsible. And if I fail to share Christ when he has directed me to do that, I am not clean. Paul said, listen, I did what God called me to do. I came, I shared with you Jewish people the gospel. You did not accept it. I am now turning from you because I've done everything I can. I'm clean. Your blood's on your hands. You made the decision. You chose. Now, that was a pretty harsh response. And I know that today, harshness is something that is greatly frowned upon. And so we don't want to be harsh. But you do have to understand something. You and I aren't responsible for people getting saved. We're responsible for sharing the information with them that they need in order to be saved. And it is the Lord who draws them to himself, not us. But we do have to be faithful in carrying the gospel message. So then we're left with this question. Well, if, if we are properly motivated to do that, well, then what's the next thing we have to understand? And it begins to emerge very clearly. We have certain requirements that are involved. And those requirements involve obedience. If you stay there in Acts chapter 8, turn over now, beginning there at verse 26, where Philip gives us a perspective on how we can engage in sharing the gospel. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. Now, we, again, to, to deal with any of these passages, you have to know a little bit of the background. Do you remember what we read earlier in the, the first five verses of chapter 8 where uh, Philip had gone to Samaria and then we're told that there was a great spiritual awakening that was taking place in Samaria. There were people getting saved. A church was being established. There were great things happening. But in spite of that, the Spirit of God gave Philip a directive that took him away from all this excitement and said, I want you to go on this journey. I want you to go down toward Gaza, and there in this desolate area, I want you to do what I'm going to direct you to do. That begins to help us understand that there is an act of obedience that goes along with God's making the way for us to share Christ with others. Here's what I'm saying. He gives us opportunities. We better be obedient to take them. It's pretty simple. And by the way, I think there are times that you don't share the gospel. I don't think you just go grab people by the collar and begin to tell them you need Christ. Because what can happen is we can drive them further and further from the truth. And that can be a very negative impact. But when there is placed upon our hearts a realization that God is setting us to a task, that we are to share Christ. Listen, if something happens at work and somebody opens up a door... And you know that door is open because God opened it. You better go through it. You better take opportunity. In school, oh, I go to the Christian school. So 
everybody there's a believer. Hey, guess what? They're not all believers. In fact, some of you guys may not even be believers. And so, when you have opportunity, you share Christ. And you tell them what Jesus did to save them. In your families, you probably have a relative who's not a believer and loves to make fun of you. Loves to take advantage of every opportunity to run you down. When they open up that door, they're giving you an opportunity to tell them the truth. And you go through. So obedience is part of our response. In addition to that, Preparation is an essential ingredient. And here's where a lot of people become afraid. They're not ready to tell others about Christ. So let's get ready today. Okay? Here we go. Be prepared to tell people what Jesus did for you. Now, you have to know Christ is your Savior in order to be able to share with people what Christ has done for you. But one of the greatest opportunities of testimony is just tell them, here is what Jesus did for me. I was a sinner. I carried the burden of my sin. I, this is, these have got to be your own words. I, I don't know what it's going to be for you. But the day came when I realized that, that my sin had separated me from God and I needed someone to repair that relationship and to bring me back toward God who was my creator and that person was Jesus Christ. Now, there are some things you should study to know. You should know some scriptures that will help people understand that they are sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You should know that there are some passages that will tell you about the love of God for the sinners. But God proved his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you should know the passage that deals with the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and He was seen by. And then there is a whole litany of individuals who could testify to the truth that Christ rose from the dead because they were still alive and they saw Him. And then you can tell them that you receive Christ not through some religious act, not through baptism, not through joining a church, though those things are right and good, but you come into a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, through faith. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Should you be afraid? But what if they ask me a question that I can't answer? Tell them you can't answer that. Say, I'll go stump the pastor. I'll get him to, to give me some answer. And then if I'll say, oh, I don't know, well, now it's my responsibility to go find out. And so we don't really have an excuse. What we do have is opportunity to prepare. And then to focus. You'll notice that when Philip approached this Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian was reading from the scriptures. And by the way, this was all part of God's preparation. He had him reading out of Isaiah chapter 53, which is the incredible 
message of the coming Messiah and his sacrifice as a substitute to pay the penalty of our sin found in the Old Testament and every Jewish person should be very familiar with this, but they're not because they skip over it. It's too difficult to deal with unless you want to play gymnastics with God's word and call this individual that is described here the nation of Israel, which doesn't fit that at all, but that's what's taught. Anyway, Philip understood that this Ethiopian was at a place where God put him, understanding a passage that dealt with the coming of Christ and the sacrifice that Christ made. And then the Bible says he started right there, right where the Ethiopian was. You start right where people are, and then you share with them, as it says here, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, that's Isaiah 53, he preached Jesus to him. And carried the message of the gospel home to this Ethiopian. He understood what the need was that this Ethiopian had. And here's what's really kind of neat. There was a proclamation being made that was not the first time in all probability that this Ethiopian heard the message of the gospel. Now, you say, well, what proof do you have of that? I, I don't have proof, but I have some evidence. And here's the evidence. The Bible tells us that the Ethiopian had come to Jerusalem and he was there for one of the feast days. Now, what we know is that there were the apostles still in Jerusalem, still proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And what it begins to help us understand is this, that in all probability, this Ethiopian had been introduced to the gospel prior to this meeting with Philip. And that's what happens with many of us. You've heard the illustration of you sow the seed, right? Some of us sow. Some of us water. But it is God who gives the increase. And somewhere along the line, somebody reaps the harvest of which we have had a part. And so don't be discouraged if you present Christ to people and they don't accept Christ right there on the spot. You're part of the process. You're either in the sowing or the watering. And sometimes along the way, God lets you reap the harvest. But it's going to require some articulation as well. You've got to tell what people have to believe. And by the way, let me, let me make this very clear. People do not need a helper to see them through the difficulties of life. Will Jesus help people through the difficulties of life? Yes. But that isn't why he came. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we can honestly say that Christ can help you through your difficulties. We can honestly say for those who are just at their wit's end and they don't know where to turn because they need things that they don't have, and you can say, listen, Christ can supply your needs. But that's not the real issue. The real issue is you're a sinner. You are separated from God, not only in the the lack of spiritual life right now, But you will be separated from him for all eternity in hell, cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. You may not want to go into all these details. They can learn some of these things later on. But if the Lord leads you to, you're telling the truth. And so there's nothing wrong with that. I know we don't like to get into that stuff today, but it's still true. But here's what I can tell you. 
If you don't trust Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin, you have no hope. Christ died to take the punishment that your sin and my sin deserves. He was buried and proved that he wasn't swooning. He died. And then he rose from the dead. And his life, where he conquered death, enables us, through him, to be victorious over sin, death, and the grave. And what we find in Christ is forgiveness of sins. And that's where it all has to lead. People have to embrace the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ in order to have their sins forgiven and to receive eternal life. And then do you know what they find? When Christ is their Savior, He can deliver them if He chooses to, or He can use the hardships to develop them. He can provide for them if He chooses to, but He does promise to supply all of their needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus if they are faithful in using that which He has given Him for His honor and glory. That, that is a conditional promise. We, we quote that like everybody's just going to have everything taken care of and then there are people who don't give God two thoughts about their material goods and then they want God to supply all of their needs but they haven't been faithful in, in giving back to Him what He's given to them. As the first fruits, that's a whole other message. So, knowing this, let me just suggest to you that you can use a variety of different tactics. One is the influence of your life. And some people stop there. They will say something like this. Well, I show through my life what Jesus Christ has done for me, and that's my testimony. Well, that's good as far as it goes. But no one is going to be able to accept Christ as Savior just looking at the goodness of your life. They may be interested in what you have, they may be open to being responsive to what you have, but that in and of itself is not enough. So there has to be a second element that's involved, and that's the articulation of the gospel. You have to tell them about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. You say, why? Because God said that it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That's the good news. Somebody paid for my sin. Somebody paid for your sin. And if I rest in him and I trust in him, I am forgiven, and I am the recipient of the free gift of eternal life that he has promised to those who trust in him. But you might say, well, I'm just really getting started in this, or I'm a relatively new believer, I'm not real confident. Then invite people to come under the sound of the gospel. You can invite people Saturday night to the gathering. You can invite people to a Sunday service. Yes, our services are geared for believers, but you will always hear the gospel in our services so that if you are not a believer, and you might be here today and not a believer, you have heard what you need to believe in order to be saved. And if the Lord is speaking to your heart and he says to you, that is the truth, you need to accept Christ as your Savior, then do that right now. By faith, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I trust in Him. And the Bible says you pass from death into life. It's very simple, but it's very, very hard. How do those two come together? 
It's hard because we're dead in trespasses and sins, but it's simple. When God opens our understanding and we begin to realize, I need a Savior, then it is simply reaching out in faith and trusting Christ. So invite people. Special services. Events that take place where we will give the gospel. There's more. You, you can distribute gospel literature. We have a tract room where you can just take the tracts. Our tract lady, Carol Pollard, she will be thrilled if you empty those tract racks and use those. It's a great opportunity to do that. And so you have all kinds of means, one of which will be helping support our missionaries seeing that they can stay on the field and carry out the work that God has called them to carry out. And then I want to give you one final thought here, and this is going to go very quickly because some of you might say, oh, yeah, well, this is all well and good. You're a pastor. You're supposed to say stuff like this. You're supposed to do stuff like this. And so I'm going to do something, and I realize that this is not... It may not be a good thing to do, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Before I became a pastor, I knew Christ. I received Him when I was young. And I really believed, even as a sales rep in business, that it was my responsibility to share the gospel of Christ with other people. Here are venues where the Lord allowed me the opportunity to share Christ and people responded. And I'm giving this to you just for the reason that you understand no matter where you are, you can tell others about the Savior. The first one, in church. I had a chance to work with people who would respond to a gospel invitation and help them understand what it meant to know Christ as Savior. In a home. We used to go visiting a lot. Now, it's a little iffy. But we'd go right to people's homes and share the gospel with them, and some of those people responded. First person I ever led to Christ was at a camp. I was a counselor, and uh, one of the little kids came to me, and he said, Ryan, he said, I, I, I need Jesus as my Savior. And we had a chance to pray together and to share. In a jail, just so you know, I was visiting. In a hospital, I'd love to tell you more about that. I was really out of sorts and not walking in close fellowship with the Lord. My mom had cancer. And she said, there's a lady down the hall who needs to hear about Jesus, and she would like to talk to you. The last thing in the world I wanted to do was go talk to that lady about Christ. But, okay, Mom. Walked down the hall, probably without a great deal of compassion or passion. I told her what she needed to believe. Tears started coming down her cheeks. And she said, I want to accept Christ as my Savior. Man, nothing drove it home more clearly than that, that it ain't us. It's Him. 
in a park. Little fell in a park in Greenville, South Carolina. Harper Griggs, I will never forget him. He's playing in the playground. A buddy of mine and I went down to the park to tell others about Jesus. And this little fellow accepted Christ. And we went back a couple days to follow up. The first question he asked me actually was more of a statement. Hey, can you come in the house? My cousin or my uncle, I can't remember which, needs Jesus as his Savior too. Will you come in and tell him? Pretty good indication he knew what he did. And at a rescue mission, go to Charlotte, North Carolina. Talk to people on the streets. Talk to people in the rescue mission. All I'm saying is this. You can lead people to understand what Jesus Christ did for them. And if God opens their heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will respond. What a privilege. Take a look in your bulletins. I just have a couple suggestions at the very end there on how do you get started. Be clear about what Christ did for you. Practice saying what one must know to be saved. You must believe in the death of Christ on behalf of you. He died for your sins. By the way, wouldn't it be a great thing if a person would say, Christ died for my sins. I now believe in Him. And then they say, Christ died for me. Christ died for the sins of the world. And when we trust Him as our Savior, we can honestly say, He died for me. Pray for courage and boldness. By the way, if you think that you're a coward, you're in good company. The Apostle Paul asked the Ephesians to pray for him, that he would have courage and boldness to share the gospel. And I'm a coward too, and I need to pray for that. Pray for opportunities, take the opportunities, and then pray for the results. We don't need a vision. We don't need dreams. What we need are people who obey the Lord and carry the gospel. Let's stand. Father, we're so thankful that you've given us your word and for its truth. Thank you for the power of the gospel. Thank you for its transforming power, its saving power, its keeping power. Thank you, Father, for the love that you've shown through Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we go our separate ways, we might fulfill the purpose for which you've raised up this church, part of which is to lead people to Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. God bless you.